Open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We'll look at a verse we looked at together last week. I'm still just a little bit high off of last week. I don't know how many of you were with us. Uh, I enjoyed it. I don't know or care if you did, but I did. No, I do. I want you to. I want you to be blessed. But I'm telling you, I've, I've just been living with it all week long. I believe the Lord said some things to us last week in our time together and in his word that if you were here and you heard it, it's got the potential to change your life. And today I believe he's going to add to that for us. In Colossians chapter 2, I want to begin in verse 6 and read a few verses. The Bible says, as you, there have, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Man, that's a powerful scripture. As you have received Jesus, now what? Walk in him. You could say it like this. As you have received grace, walk by faith. And you see that in the next verse. As you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Can we say those words together? Established in the faith. Say it again. Established in the faith. Now this goes back to what the Lord began dealing with us about at the beginning of this year. Looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10, and we've talked about it every week since the beginning of this year, believing that God is using his words in these verses to set the tone and the expectation for what he desires to do in your life, in mine, in our lives individually, and our lives as a body, as a family of believers. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, May the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, say them with me, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This is the will of God for our lives. It's the will of God for this church. How do I know that? The Bible tells me so. That's what this verse said. And if you look at it in other translations and even in some of the original text, it literally says the God of all grace will perfect you, will establish you, will strengthen and settle you. That reveals his will. That shows you what the will of God is for you and for your life. It is his will that you be perfected, that you be established. And now we see here in this scripture in Colossians 2 that we're looking at, that has to do with being established in the faith. Now we've talked, and we're going to keep talking some about it, but we're talking about what it means to be perfected. Because in our, our vernacular, our language, our idea of it, the word perfect translates to flawless, translates to uh, totally sinless, never miss it, never make a mistake. That's not what this word is about. So you're going to have to let the word of God define it and redefine it. You're going to have to let your mind be renewed to what he's talking about when he's talking about you and I being perfected. But because our understanding of it has been so limited, that's why you've said it, I've said it, all of us have used it as an excuse. Well, nobody's perfect. But we made the decision as a family, we're going to quit saying that, right, church? We're going to quit saying nobody's perfect. Why? Because somebody is. And who is that somebody? That's Jesus. Jesus is. So when we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, that the God of all grace wants to perfect and establish and strengthen and settle us, we are, we're beginning to understand he's painting a picture of Jesus. He's wanting to work in us so that as we have received him, we start walking just like him. We start living just like him, perfected. Now again, yes, of course, Jesus is, was and is and will always be sinless, flawless, no mistakes. He had to be. If he wasn't, he could not have been our sacrifice. So, yes, he is that. But again, when we're talking about his perfection, there's something more to it than just his flawlessness. And that's why Jesus told us in the book of Luke, he said, the disciples never going to be above his master. You get that, right? We understand that. The disciples never going to be above his master. But what Jesus did say was that everyone who is perfect 
will be just like him. Other translations bring out what he was talking about. Everyone who is perfectly trained will be just like their master. So you're never going to be above Jesus. You're never going to do it better than he did it. You're never going to walk it out in a way more glorious or more perfect than he did. But if you're trained by him, then you can be just like him. Just like him. Perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. Now, what we started to get into, let's just keep reading this verse here in Colossians 2, because over the last week or two, the Lord's, I, he's working in me on something here. And so we're going to, we're going to make a shift. We're going to make a change in the way we're approaching this. And I'll explain to you in a moment what I mean. Verse six again, Colossians 2, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Could you say that Jesus walked established in his faith? Yeah. So when you're established in your faith, you're walking just like him. Established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Verse eight, beware. Somebody say beware. Beware, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Beware. What's that mean? Watch out. Watch out. Because if you're not aware of it, there's a danger that it can happen. There's a danger that you can be cheated through these things, philosophy and through empty deceit and through the traditions of the world and not according to Christ, he said, be where when you're walking along or you're coming up to a house along the street and there's a sign out front on that chain link fence, chain link fence that says what? Beware of dog. Whether you see one or not, what should you do? Beware. Well, I don't see one. There must not be one. That's not being where he's trying to tell you the guy who lives in that house is trying to tell you, I have a dog and he will mess you up if you are not aware. So beware. And that's the same thing. The scripture is saying here, beware, be on the watch, be on the guard for these things that are trying to cheat you out of something. Things that are trying to lie to you and deceive you and to cheat you out of something. You're going to see here in a minute what he's talking about. Verse 9, he said, for in him, talking about Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, there's not one thing in God that was left out of Jesus. There's not one attribute. There's not one characteristic of his nature that was left out or missing in Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And this is what people struggled with, with him. And he had to try to tell them, even his own disciples. When Jesus said, I'm going to the father and Philip, bless his heart, got this written down and recorded for all time for all of us to see, said, show us the father and it suffices us. Just show us the father and we're good. And Jesus looked at him and said, have I been with you so long? We've, been, we've spent so much time together, man. We've been hanging out for like three years. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know? And you know what he said to him? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And Philip's like, okay. So can we see the father or not? Come on, man. Come on, catch up. Catch up with us here. If you've seen Jesus... You've seen the father. How could that be? Because in him, come on, I hope you're listening to this in him, all the fullness of God dwells bodily. It's all in him. There's nothing missing from him. And this is how Jesus lived his life. This is the source of his confidence. This is, this was, and is the source of his boldness. This was the source of his security because you got to be bold. You got to be fearless. 
to step up into the face of some of the religious people he stepped up in the face of and say some of the things that he said so unashamedly, so without reservation and without fear. Man, you got to know who you are. Because if there's something missing in you, if you're not full, right? If there's something missing and you're still questioning part of who you are and you're uncertain about your identity, you don't talk like that. You, you don't talk bold, you don't talk confident, and you live restricted and not free. But see, Jesus lived and spoke and preached and taught and healed and raised and everything he did with absolute freedom, total boldness and confidence for this reason right here, full of God. He knew what was on the inside. He knew that the fullness of the Godhead bodily or the fullness of the God had dwelled in him bodily. That's all of the Father. That's all of the Spirit. Excuse me, the Spirit. And of course, he, in his own place in the Godhead, it's all on the inside of him. Do you see what I'm saying? He's complete. Totally complete. Now, what the Scripture goes on to say in the very next verse, we'll read verse 9 again. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's not even a period there. Verse 10 and you are complete in him. You are. You are complete in him. Now, as we've talked about the word perfection and perfecting and, and, and endeavoring to get an idea of what it means from God's perspective, no matter what word you're studying that gets translated perfect, there's always this word complete attached to it. And we have, Lord help me with this. We, we've, we're using these words, of course, to paint a picture of Jesus and, and, and desiring to live a life that looks just like him. And we see that in the book of first John chapter four, that says, as he is, so are we in this world. And if you go back and look at that scripture, it's really all about the love that he carried. The love that he was, the love that he is, the love that he showed. And that's why that scripture says, and as he is, so are we. As he was love in this world, so are we love in this world. It's about perfected love. And in those verses right there in 1 John chapter 4, as he is, so are we in this world. I mean, the, ver the verses right around it, perfected love casts out fear. Here again, you can see why Jesus could minister totally free from fear because of this perfected love that was working in him. And for the last several weeks, we've been calling this series Just Like Jesus. And I want to continue to focus on that, except that I want to narrow it down a little bit. And I'm changing the title of the series. And you're thinking, can you do that? Yeah, I can. It's one of the perks. And I get a sense in my spirit that, yes, we are talking about being just like him, but I believe the Lord's wanting us to narrow that focus down to this right here. You are complete in him. This is what perfection is about. Not flawlessness, not sinlessness after the flesh, not in the flesh, never missing it or making a mistake. That's not what we're dealing with. We're talking about our completeness complete in him. So moving forward, I'm calling this series complete in him until next week. And then we'll see. But as of today, complete in him, will you say it out loud? I am complete in him. Don't leave off those last two words. They are the key. You are not complete outside of him. And as people of faith, we've been taught and trained how to make good faith confessions. And we see things in the word and, and, and we, we put the word in our mouth and, and expect our confession to produce results. And it's good, but don't ever forget where the power comes from. Don't ever forget to make the connection, the in him connection. 
Have you ever heard somebody say, I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things. Facing an impossible situation. I can do all things. I can do all things. And it sounds like a good confession. Can I tell you something? It's not. You're looking at me funny. Can I tell you what is a good confession? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Can you see the difference? If you leave off in him, through Christ, by him, it's like taking an extension cord and unplugging it and expecting that thing to work. Man, you got to plug into the power. That's where the power is. It's who you are, but not who you are apart from him, who you are in him. And who you are in him, church, is complete. You're complete. Totally put together. Nothing missing, nothing broken, complete. Would you say it again? I am complete in him. Now, if you put this together with what he already said, what did he say in verse eight? Beware, watch out, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Or I could say it like this, not according to who you are in Christ. Watch out. What is it we're supposed to be watching for? We are supposed to be watching out. We are supposed to be on the guard for any idea, any thought, any way of thinking that would try to convince you that you're not complete. Watch out for it, church, because it's out there. Watch out for any philosophy. Watch out for any empty deceit or any tradition of men according to the the principles of this world that would try to convince you that you are something other than complete in Christ. Watch out for it. This is what we're dealing with. And I I told you last week we were going to deal with two big lies that the world tells us concerning our completeness. And I know there's more, but these are the two that I believe the Lord would have us deal with. And what we dealt with last week was one of the first big lies that we have got to be on the guard for. And one of the traditions of this world, one of the philosophies, you could say, boiled down is that you need, you ready? You need more stuff to be complete. If you just had more stuff, if you just had more money, if you just had more things, if you just had a bigger place, a nicer car, a better job, if you just had those things, you'd be complete. And we got to watch out for this because it is a lie. And what that lie produces when you believe it is covetousness, covetousness. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians 13. This is one of the other places we've been looking in this study, this great love chapter. And when you couple with what, couple this, what Paul says here in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, with what the spirit of God said by him in Ephesians 4. You're looking for 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read Ephesians 4 to you. Verse 11, we've talked about this. It says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints or the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying. That word means building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect Man, this word perfect means full grown, means fully developed. It means mature to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Does this sound like what Paul said in Colossians 2? Watch out. Beware. Because there's lies out there trying to deceive you, trying to make you believe that, what, you're not who you are in him. He said, it's children that buy into this stuff. Have you noticed that about children? Quick to believe. Quick to believe. And in some respects, if you're talking about being quick to believe God and quick to believe his word, that's a good thing. But children, they're quick to believe just about anything you say, just about anything they see. And I've noticed this with our little girl, Jessie. 
We'll be sitting there watching a movie and she'll lean over to me and she goes, is this real or is this make-believe? She wants to know. And baby, this is totally pretend. Is this a true story or is this made up? And you and I watch it going, well, this is, you know, this is obviously made up. Children. Children are quick to believe. And he's saying here, don't be so quick to believe every wind of doctrine. Don't be so quick to buy into these things that toss you back and forth, carry you to and fro, the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse uh, 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We've been talking about how love on display among us is a sign of spiritual maturity. We are growing up into that perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And just as you watch your children grow and there's outward signs of their growth, that they're getting bigger, they're, they're getting taller, right? They're, things are changing. When love is on display among us, that is a sign of our spiritual growth. We're growing up. When love is showing up, we're growing up. When love is showing up in this family, this family's growing up. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13, of course, is about. We know this is the great love chapter. But look down again at uh, verse 9. He said, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect, or you could say when that which is complete has come, then that which is in part or not complete will be done away. And the very next thing he says in verse 11 is when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood like a child. I thought like a child. These are the things that indicate where we are in our growth, how we speak, how we think, how we understand. And Paul said, when I was a child, that's how I talked. When I was a child, I thought like one. I understood like one. And that was fine. Why? Because I was a child. When you're a, when you're a child, it's good. It's fine. It's okay to talk like one, to think like one, to understand like one. But what Paul goes on to say is, but when I became a man, when I grew up, when I developed, when I matured, he said, I put away childish things. In other words, it's fine when you're a child to think like one, understand like one, talk like one. It is not okay to sit up in this place, a full grown adult, still talking like a kid, thinking like a child, speaking, understanding like a child. And that's what this chapter is all about. This great love chapter is about our growth, our perfecting, our being complete. And that's why he says in the verses that lead up to this, verse four, love is patient. Spiritual maturity is patient. How many children do you know that are really good at being patient? It's not one of their strong suits, is it? Waiting. No, instead, what is it? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? That's a childish mentality. That's a childish way of speaking. You know what's not okay? You and me going, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Am I there yet? When am I going to get there, God? Come on, come on, come on, come on. No, love, spiritual maturity is patient. And let patience have its, there you go, perfect work. So that you may be, say it church, perfect. There it is. Come on, are you, are you connecting some dots yet? That you may be perfect complete, lacking nothing. Love is patient because that's what, that's how grownups are. Love is kind. Kindness is a sign of spiritual maturity. Then he goes on to say what love is not. And remember we talked about this. Love is not envious or you could say covetous. Spiritual maturity does not look at what somebody else has and say, oh, I'd be complete without, with that. Spiritual maturity does not look at somebody else's house, somebody else's car, somebody else's money, somebody else's things, somebody else's wife, and say, man, if I just had those things, I'd be complete. 
Beware. It's a lie. It's a lie. And the world is pushing this lie big time. You need this. Oh, if you had this, you'd be complete. If you had this right, if you had these clothes, if you had this, if you lived here, if you worked here, you'd be complete. It's a lie. What's the truth? Come on, church. What is the truth? I am complete. I'm complete in him. I'm complete with or without that stuff. That's the truth. Beware of the lie. Then he goes on to say, not only is love not envious, but love does not parade itself. Spiritual maturity. People who are grown up in God do not parade themselves. They don't parade self. Other translations talk about how this has to do with boasting and bragging. I think the King James says, love vaunteth not, whatever that means, but, but you get the idea. I like this word parade. Love does not put self on parade. What is a parade? You ever been to one? Quick show of hands. Anybody ever been to one? There's one that rolls through this town, I think, every Christmas, right? We went to the Christmas parade a few years ago in Woodland Park. That's a great time. Well, what is a parade? Well, it's where you and I come and we stand on either side of the street and everything's blocked off and roped off. And, and then we just stand there and we look at what's coming down Main Street and all eyes on what's coming down Main Street and all attention on what's coming down Main Street and all of our focus is on what's coming down Main Street. Love doesn't do that. Love, huh. love doesn't put itself on parade. Spiritual maturity doesn't act like that. Now remember, Paul used these words. When I was a child, this is how I acted. This is how I thought. This is how I talked. Envy is a childish thing. Mine. 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 I want that. I want that. Mine. 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 That's a childish way of talking. Putting yourself on parade that's a very childish thing. Anybody with little kids, have little kids, had little kids, was a little kid at one point? What are they famous for saying? Look at me. Mommy, look. Mommy. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Mommy, look, 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 look. Mommy, look. Daddy, daddy, watch, 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 watch. Daddy, look, look. Watch what I can do. Watch what I can do. Daddy, mommy, mommy, look, 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 look. Am I telling the truth? Is this how children talk? Is this how children act? Look at me. Watch what I can do. Watch what I can do. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I made. Look, 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 look. What's that about? When they're children, it's okay. What are they looking for? Two big things. And I think I heard it. What's the first one? Attention. And what comes from the attention, what they're really looking for from you as their parent is approval. Attention, approval. And our children do need that, don't they? Our children need that from us. They need parents who are going to celebrate them. They need parents who are going to encourage them. They need moms and dads who are going to say, baby, that is beautiful. You did an awesome job. Look what I colored. And it's like they colored outside every line and on the wall and it just looks like it has no rhyme or reason to it. And yet as parents, what is our job? Good job, baby. Daddy loves you. Oh, that's beautiful. You did such a good job. What are they looking for? From their parents, they are looking for attention and approval. And when they're children, it's okay. When we're young like that, it's okay. What's not okay is for you and I to be grown up, adults, still begging the world for the same thing. Attention and approval. Two big lies that we're on the guard 
that we're watching out for. Number one, you need more stuff to be complete. It's a lie. Somebody say, it's a lie. Well, if that's the lie, what's the truth? I am complete. Don't forget it. (laughs) In him. What's another lie? You need their attention. You need the world's approval to be complete. You're not complete without their approval. Somebody say, it's a lie. This is a big one. The lie is that you are not complete without their attention, without their approval. But the truth is, no, I am complete. I'm complete in him. You know, this is one of the big indicators to me that so much of what we're seeing in our world, our culture right now, has such a demonic spirit driving it. What are we talking about? Without getting too deep into it, there are groups and people groups, those that use certain things to identify and and define themselves. And if you'll notice this, there is such a strong push from particular groups and such a strong demand that everybody else acknowledge, everybody else approve, everybody else give attention, right? We've seen this. And the thing that, that, what's the right word, Lord? Hmm. The thing that is so dangerous about it, whether it's somebody who uses their sexuality to identify them or somebody who uses their skin color to define them, the thing that's dangerous about it is that they are demanding, number one, attention, and number two, approval. And what they're teaching, and here's where it gets really dangerous, as it forces its way into schools, as it forces its way into the eyes and ears of our children, what they're teaching them is you are not complete unless you have their approval. You're not okay. You're not okay without them attending to you. Who's them? People they will never know. People they'll never meet. People they'll most likely never interact with. And yet they're being told you're not complete without their approval. So if you don't have their approval, what should you do? Scream, fight, throw a fit, cause a fuss. Does this sound like toddlers? Grown-ups don't do this. Spiritually mature people. Now listen, I'm not judging. I'm not faulting. It's the world. Folks, let's not be shocked when the world acts like the world. Okay? But what did Jesus say? It's not going to be this way among you. It's not going to be like this among you. And I'll go ahead and say it on his behalf to this church. It's not going to be this way in this church. It's not going to be this way. The lie is you're not complete without more attention. You're not complete without their acceptance. That's really the word we're talking about. Our children, they need it from us. They need our attention. They need our approval. They need our acceptance. But there comes a time in our lives when that need has got to be put away and it gets put away with the revelation of who I am in Jesus and who I am in him is complete. Who I am in him, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, is accepted. Who I am in him is approved in him. Love doesn't parade itself. And the reason I I, I say beware of this is because it is so ingrained right now into our culture that it's happening without us even realizing it. I'm just going to put something out here for you. Be very, very aware. Did we already read that word? Beware. About social media. Because most of what it has become is the parade of self. It's the parade of me. Look where I've been. Look what I'm doing. Look what I got. 
Look who I'm with, right? Look at my lunch. Look at the shirt that I bought. Watch out for this. It's the parade of self. Now, I'm not telling you what to do and what not to do, but I'm telling you two things. You ready? Beware and be led. Beware and be led. Young people, teenagers, listen to me. Beware and be led about what you post and about why. If we would just do this, take the picture, you know, you get that selfie and it only took 270 shots to get it right. <laughs> Go ahead, take it. Go ahead, write your little caption about it. But before you post it, ask yourself this, why? Why am I putting this out there? What am I looking for? And if you'll be honest, most of the time, you want to know what it is? Attention and approval. Acceptance. Beware and be led. Just two weeks ago, Sarah and I were sitting after church on a Sunday. We went to get some Mexican food because that's what you do. <laughs> I'm a Texan and that's what you do after church on Sunday. You eat Mexican food. And they sat us in the group we were with. They sat us in a part of the restaurant. There was only about three or four other tables in that whole little section. I mean, it was kind of tight and crammed in. And we were sitting there and there was a table right behind us, just a few feet from us. And I noticed them, they were waiting in the same line we were to get in and get a table. And I think it was probably what, six or eight people. And they had a, a mom and dad, a young teenage daughter and, and you know, family. And as we're sitting there, a young man comes walking into this part of the restaurant they were in and he walks up to that table and he stands there and at first I thought, what is going on? Is he selling something? It, it, he started in on this speech and it, it was enough and it was loud enough to kind of caught everybody's attention. And we're kind of trying to figure out what's going on and we're listening to him and, and he's talking and we're trying to follow what he said. And the next thing you know, one of the adult men from the table got up and said, uh, me and you need to go outside. And we finally put together what was going on. This young teenage boy late teens, maybe early twenties. Am I saying this right? He came in and he said, he looked at the teenage daughter and said, I, f I follow her on TikTok, And I drove from New Mexico to see if she wanted to hang out. She didn't, she didn't know him, had no idea how he found her. I'll tell you how he found her. And when you do that 75 times a day and you're telling the world, I'm here. Now I'm here. Now I'm over here. Here's where I am. It's a parade of self. And I think it kind of freaked him out a little bit that somebody who just happens to follow you online and likes what they see because you put it out there over and over and over and over, gets it in his little teenage head. I'm going to drive across state lines because maybe you want to hang out. Beware and be led. I'm not telling you what to do, what to do, what not to do. I am asking you beware and be led. Because so much of what's driving that right now, this constant putting self out there, self out there, self out there, and over and over and over again, it is not just the display of self, it's the display of the skin of the self. I'm, am, I, am I being truthful with you right now? I'm trying to do my best not to pull any punches. Beware. Be watchful, be led over this stuff. Because over and over and over again, if you will ask yourself why, why am I putting this out there? If you're honest, the answer is I want the attention. I want the approval. I want the acceptance. So somewhere along the lines, you quit believing the truth that I am accepted, that I am complete, 
without it. Watch out for this. Go. You're quiet. Are you okay? (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, so full of God, so full of the Spirit, and so full of the Father, that he did not live this life looking for anybody else's attention, anybody else's approval, or anybody else's acceptance. And if you want to experience real freedom, that's where it is. Getting free from this need of others' attention. Getting free from this need of others' approval and acceptance. The very first words I think we have recorded in the scriptures of the Father saying something about Jesus is when Jesus went under the waters of baptism and he came up and the Spirit of God descended upon him. And what did the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now you think about that, you think, well, yeah, obviously, you know, Jesus, I mean, he's, God would obviously be pleased with him. You know, he's preaching these messages and he's healing the sick and he's raising the dead. Wait a second. If you go back and look, it's like Mark chapter one or something. In other words, God declared his pleasure. The father declared his pleasure with the son before one message was ever preached one miracle was ever worked, one dead was ever raised, I submit to you that it was Jesus' revelation of how pleased his father was with him that launched him into ministry. They gave him confidence to stand and preach. They gave him confidence to lay hands on the sick and see him recover. Where's that kind of confidence come from? My father's pleased with me. I'm complete in him. The Father's pleasure wasn't based on anything Jesus had done up until that point. It was based on who he was as a son and Jesus' revelation of it that launched him into ministry. And because of that, Jesus wasn't always worried about what people thought. He wasn't starving for attention. He actually said to the Pharisees on more than one occasion, he's like, I've, th- these are the words he used. Basically what I say is, I don't need your witness. You notice he said that often? I, I have another witness. What is a witness? In a court of law, what is a witness? Sometimes these words mean one thing in church and then they mean something else outside the church. No, it, it means the same thing. What is a witness? In a court of law, somebody is called as a witness because they saw something. They heard something. They know something. And what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and religious people is that I don't need your witness. I don't need you to confirm me. Now, most everybody else, they needed these dudes to confirm them. They needed them to acknowledge them, approve them, give them the attention. Why? Because these are the leaders. These are the chief priests. These are the elders. These are the scribes. These are the ones that everybody looks to. And if they say it's fine, it's fine. If they're not good with it, it's not good. And Jesus is going, I don't need your witness, man. I don't need your witness. I'm not on social media, church. Why? I don't need the witness. I'm not out there posting a bunch of stuff all the time. I don't need the witness. I don't need anybody else telling me. That's good. I don't need anybody else telling me. I like that. I like that shirt. I don't need anybody else telling me. Oh, that lunch looks good. I don't need anybody else telling me. I wish I had that. I wish I had this. I don't need the witness. I'm trying to tell you something today. You don't need that witness. You're not starving for it. You're complete without it. Jesus said, I have a witness. The Father is my witness. Oh, come on. We got to get this. We totally understand that we are witnesses for God, right? I mean, I'm a witness for him. Well, not if you hadn't seen something, you're not. 
Not if you hadn't heard the truth about who he is, not if you don't know something, but if you've seen and you've heard and you know and you've tasted of the goodness of God, yes, you are a witness and yes, you can testify of what you have seen and you have heard and what you know about God to be true. And we understand that we are his witnesses, but I don't think we've understood this. He's our witness. He's the one that knows the truth about us and he's willing to testify. Come on, somebody. God the Father is willing to take the stand on your behalf and testify of the truth of who you are and what you are in him and what you have in him. And he's willing to testify on your behalf. You complete. You are complete. You have a witness and the Father is your witness. Jesus is telling these Pharisees, I don't need your witness. And if you don't need their witness, you're not afraid of them. If you don't need their confirming word, if you don't need their attention, if you don't need their approval, if you don't need their acceptance, what's there to be afraid of? He can say stuff like, woe to you vipers. Woe to you whitewashed tombs. How can he say that? He doesn't need their witness. He's not afraid. He's complete without it. He's so full of God. What does he need with what they say? And this is why he said in Luke chapter six, verse 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you. The New Living Translation says, what sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? This is what the world tells us we have to have. And it's telling the church, if you don't have our approval, we're coming for you. If you don't approve of us, if you don't approve of the way we live life, if you don't approve of what we say is true, we're coming for you. And Jesus said, you don't want their approval. Church, listen to me. Teenagers, listen to me. There are some people's approval you don't want. There are some groups' acceptance you don't want. And I know we're being fed the lie. Oh, I do want it. I do want that. No, there are some you do not. Woe to you when all men praise you, when all men speak well of you, when the crowds praise you. Go to Luke chapter nine. Oh, it's about to get good. Luke chapter nine. Look down around verse 18. I like this. Luke nine eighteen. it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and Jesus asked them saying, who do the crowds say that I am? It's an interesting question coming from him. Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered and said, uh, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say, you know, one of the old prophets has risen again. But Jesus, verse 20, he said, who do you say that I am? It's almost as though he asked this question so that he could answer it and then say, I don't really care. I don't care who the crowd say, because they said, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the old prophets. And Jesus could have been like, man, I'm trying so hard to tell them I'm the son of God. They need to recognize me. They need to accept it, accept my, my divinity, my identity. I'm the Messiah. <laughs> accept me, approve me. Who do the crowd say that I am? Oh, you're this one, you're that one, you're that one. Jesus is like, okay, well, let me ask you something that actually matters. Who do you say? The most important question that any human has ever been asked or will ever answer is who do you say Jesus is? And Peter, he pipes up. Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. The son of the living God, other accounts say. And that's where Jesus said to him, you're blessed, Simon Barjona, Barjona, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. But notice what Jesus said in verse 21. 
Peter said, you're the Christ. In verse 21, he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. I thought that the whole idea was that we tell people what you're seeing here is his security. You're seeing his confidence. It doesn't make a lot of sense to the natural way of thinking, but he strictly warned them, commanded them to tell no one saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected. What is rejected? Not accepted. He said, I must be rejected. That's what the book of Isaiah says about Jesus. Isaiah, the prophet talking about him years, hundreds of years before he came, says he was despised and rejected by men. There's something in the flesh, in the nature of, of mankind that does not want to be rejected. It hates being rejected and it would do anything and, and everything to, to keep from being rejected. Just don't reject me. I don't want to be turned down. I don't want to be turned away. I don't want to be rejected. What are they saying? Accept me, accept me, accept me. But Jesus said, I have to be rejected. This is confidence church. This is being so full of God that he can say, I have to be rejected by men. He said, I've got to be rejected by the elders by the chief priests, by the scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. Jesus was rejected by the best of them. He was rejected by the highest seats of authority. You cannot get more rejected than Jesus was rejected. He said, I have to be. And then he said to him in verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him do what with self? Parade it? Put it on display? No, deny it. If you're coming after me, if you're going to walk with me, if you're going to walk like me, you're going to have to do something with yourself. You're going to have to deny it. If anybody's coming after me, let him deny self. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But for whoever uh, loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and, and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's glory and of the holy angels. There is pressure being applied right now to us and it is to be ashamed of him. It is to shrink back and to conform. There's pressure being applied from the world saying you better approve you better acknowledge, you better accept, or we're coming for you. But what did Jesus say? You can either have their approval or you can have mine. You can either have their acceptance or you can have mine. He said, whoever's ashamed of me in this sinful and adulterous generation, I'm going to be ashamed of you in the presence of God. But Jesus said in the book of Matthew, whoever confesses me, I'm going to confess you. In other words, if you'll be my witness, what's he saying? I'll be yours. You be my witness. I'll be your witness. You testify of me. I'll testify of you. Now, the thing is, what he's showing us here is that not only is he rejected, but if he is, guess what else, church? We would be. Look at verse 51. It says, it came to pass, Luke 9, 51. When the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he's headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. And sent messengers before his face 
And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Verse 53, but they did not receive him. You could say they did not accept him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Folks, do you know that there are some people that will reject you just because of where you're headed? If you are willing to go with God and go all the way, then there will be rejection just simply because of where you're going. Because you're pursuing him and you're pursuing his things. You're pursuing his plan and his call on your life. And there will be rejection for that. Jesus, just because he was going to Jerusalem, this village rejected him. But skip down now to chapter 10. It says in verse one, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Do not go from house to house. I wish some church people could hear that. Do not go from house to house. What's he saying? When you go into a place and you find favor there, or you do find those that accept you, you do find those that acknowledge you, stay there. When you find favor, where you find peace, stay there. Don't just keep going from house to house. He said in verse nine, though, whatever uh, city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But verse 10, whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, they don't accept you. You see this in the book of Mark. You see this in the book of Matthew. Jesus is giving us fair warning church. Heads up, Jesus is saying, there are places you will go and they will not accept you. You cannot say he didn't warn us. You can't say he didn't give us a heads up. He's saying it. There are places you will go that they will not accept you. How do I know that? Because there are places he went that they did not accept him. And if they did it to him, they're going to do it to you. The disciple's not above his master. There are going to be places you go that they don't accept you. Other passages, other accounts in the gospels, Jesus said, there's going to be places you go. They don't receive you and they don't hear you. How do you know when somebody's not hearing you? No response. And let me just tell you from the standpoint of a minister, I've been to a couple of places where it seems like they're not accepting it. They're not hearing it. They're not receiving it. They're not responding to it. But then again, this goes back to that whole need for attention. What is that? Respond to me. How many responses did I get? How many likes did I get? How many comments did I get? It's that need for attention that says, without all that, I'm not complete. Jesus said, hey, you better get over that because it's coming. You are going to go some places where they don't respond. You are going to say some things and they don't reply. You are going to go into some places where they don't receive or accept or hear you. And he tells you what to do about it. Are you ready? He said in verse 10, Whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Other accounts, he said, shake the dust off your feet. So what do you do? Hmm? What do you do when you get rejected just like Jesus? He told you what to do. You shake the dust. You shake the dust of it. Now, I think somewhere in our mind, we, we translated that to some act of defiance against them and, and, and some curse be upon them. No, anything Jesus ever told you to do, you got to do by faith. Keep in mind, these guys are traveling preachers and they're going from city to city and they're not driving cars. They're not walking paved roads. They're walking old, dirty, dusty streets. 
And as they come into a city, guess what they get covered in? The dust of that city. And he says, you're going to come into a place and you're going to, you are going to find those that receive you. You will find those that accept you and that hear you and stay there. And if you'll stay with them, what did he say? I will testify of you there by healing them. Other, other accounts of this say that demons were cast out. That's God testifying of them. That's God bearing witness of who they are in him. But right on the other hand, you will find, find some people that will not hear it, don't want anything to do with you, will not accept it. What do you do? Before you go to the next place, you shake the dust. In other words, don't take this place with you to the next one. Don't take their rejection with you to the next one. This is good information for ministers and anybody else. I mean, what if I stood up as a minister and I preached my guts out sometime to a place and it just seemed like they were a brick wall, didn't want to hear it, didn't receive it. What happens if I don't shake the dust of that? I go to the next place, remembering rejection, carrying with me rejection. And you do that over and over and over. As a minister, you start expecting people to reject it. That's not faith. But what about somebody who's not a preacher per se or a minister? What about in your own life? Folks, we got people covered up in the dust of what happened to them in 1975. Some relationship that went sour. Some experience they had in a church 35, 40 years ago. And because they didn't shake the dust of it, they have gone from house to house to house, covered up in the dust of rejection from years ago. People going into relationships, not complete in Christ, covered up in the dust of the rejection they experienced in the relationships before it. We got to shake some dust. We got to shake some dust. I'm not carrying around rejection with me in this life. Why? Because in him, I am accepted in the beloved. That's who I am. That's who I am in him. And if we will shake the dust of that and not carry it with us to the next one and live with the revelation of who I am in him, who, who we are in him, who he is in us, we won't carry around rejection. Even though, sure, it's coming. Even though we deal with it, my completeness is not in their acceptance. It's not in their approval. It's not in their attention because it's not myself that's on display. Here's the key to it right here. And I'll say this and be done. In this same passage, Jesus said it. Verse 16, he who hears you, hears me. He which rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. This will set you free right here. When you experience rejection, just remind yourself this. It ain't even about you. It's not about you. He said, when they reject you, they're rejecting me. When they hear you, guess what else? It ain't even about you. When somebody hears me, it ain't about me. When they hear me, when they receive me, they are receiving him. When they reject, it's not between you and them. It's between them and him. Can we stand up together this morning before we go? How about we just shake a little dust? Can we do that? I, I know every single one of us have had some experiences, been rejected, been not received, not accepted, and do it by faith today. Call that thing to mind and whatever it is, just say it out loud. I'm shaking the dust of that. I'm getting rid of that. I'm not carrying that with me. I'm not carrying that relationship with me to the next one. I'm not carrying what I experienced in that church into this one. I'm not carrying what I experienced in that job into this one. I'm shaking the dust of that. I'm a free man. I'm a free woman. I'm free in him. I am so full of God. I'm so full of Christ. So full of his anointing. Complete in him. Can you shout it out loud? I am complete in him. Whose approval are you looking for? 
theirs or his. Who, whose witness do you need? You don't need their witness. Jesus didn't need their witness. You don't need their witness. You have the Father in heaven who testifies of you. And when he testifies of you, guess what happens? Sick people get healed. Guess what happens? Demons get cast out. The dead are raised. That's God testifying of his anointing that is on you. Come on, somebody shout about it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.